0: Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. And tonight, we have writer-director Mickey Keating, whose new movie, Off Season, is coming out this Friday, March 11th, to theaters and video on demand. Mickey, thank you for being here with us. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I saw the movie, and I genuinely, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, like we quickly said before we went live, I love the new spin that you put on our classic, you know, story. Now, two movies before, two, sorry, two days before the release date, the movie has gotten really good reviews, uh, really, really good reviews from the critics who have seen it. Does that help ease any anxiety before Friday comes?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, for sure, it's always nice to be liked, Um, you know, and and I'm glad that it's kind of uh, clicking with people because, you know, you make a movie and you hope that uh, it it resonates, but uh, you never know. And so I'm really glad people seem to be digging this one.
0: This is very good. Now, the film has a very ominous feel to it uh, right from the get go. What was your inspiration to really making a dark film?
1: I I mean, I love dark subject matter (laughs) Uh, and, you know, and I really wanted to make something heavily atmospheric, very, um, you know, uh, southern gothic in its feel, almost like an old ghost story you'd find in an old book in an antique shop. So, um, yeah, that's what really kind of drew me to the subject matter. I really wanted to scare people, I think. And uh, and and I think this one seems to be doing that.
0: Now, you've been noted on the record of saying you draw your film's inspiration from movies that you've enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Did that hold true for off-season? Did you have any prior movies that you've seen that really inspired you to write and direct this?
1: Um, Well, you know, every movie that I make, I I want to see... the, you know, I, I write it as a fan of, of movies and I want to see something that I would enjoy uh, as a fan. And, and yeah, for this one, you know, there's certainly touch points, but, you know, I think a strong, uh, jumping off point was really kind of doing something, um, more like, uh, one of those old stories, like, um, uh, the summer people by Shirley Jackson, Mm -hmm. or just something that was a little bit more, um, uh, like, uh, like an old ghost story in, in that way. But, you know, certainly like, you know, touch points of like, Movies like uh, from from Japanese horror to uh, anywhere like uh, Antonioni's Red Desert were all kind of like uh, references for this one.
0: Now, Jocelyn Donahue is the main character. She plays the character of Marie and she basically carries the whole film. Uh, Did you have any concerns, not just with Jocelyn, but a single character carrying a whole movie?
1: No, I mean I love that kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really into that, and so uh, anytime I can I can not have to cut away to another character or explain something, I'm all for it. So I knew Jocelyn would be able to uh, to carry that burden, and I think uh, I, I, I think she did a very good job. <laughs> oh, she
0: did an amazing job. So when you were auditioning for the role of Marie, what was it that you saw in Jocelyn that said she's the one?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I don't really kind of, I hate the uh, the concept of auditioning actors. I think it's really, uh, it's it's horrible for them. It's horrible for me. So when I was thinking about who could play this character, you know, uh, she immediately came into my mind. And so it was really just a matter of being like, let's reach out to her representatives if she's even interested in reading it, great. And so uh, she did and fortunately wanted to sit down and talk about it more. So, I mean, I'm my theory with actors always is, is like, I know that they are good actors because I've seen their other work. Otherwise, you know, uh, I wouldn't reach out. So, um, yeah, uh, it was really just the luck that she said, yes, I want to do that because.
0: uh, It's sort of like a job interview, you know, I mean, how much can you convey in 20 minutes until you start working with somebody and seeing them every day in your line of work? You get to see prior work. You get to see people and how they did so seeing Jocelyn's prior work, did that really play into going after her aggressively?
1: Um, Just in that I knew that my movie would be in good hands if she agreed to do it. Uh, you know, that was kind of the, the, the priority number one. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like uh, everything, Robert Altman says it best. It's like casting is 80% of a director's job and yep. I a hundred percent agree with that. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that that really was kind of as cut and dry as that.
0: So when you gave the script to Jocelyn and she read, uh, read it over, uh, what kind of feedback did she give you? Did she just love it? Uh, what kind of reaction did she have?
1: Um, it really was, you know, I, I, for me, I, you know, I, I definitely always like to write um, uh, with the opportunity to go to an actor and say, whatever you want to bring into this, uh, let's do it. If you have ideas, you know, if you see your characters this way, this way, let's do that because that's very, very exciting to me. I want this role to be kind of personal uh, for you. And, and so it was really this kind of uh, fun conversation that we had in the, in the weeks leading up to the shoot where basically we kind of designed the character collaboratively, which uh, is, is great. And, you know, I highly recommend that process.
0: The film, uh, you broke it up into chapters, okay, uh, which is great. It's done in TV shows. It's done in movies. Is that, is that something you decided during the script writing process, or did you come up with the idea in post-production?
1: Uh, I knew for sure I wanted to do that, but I feel like when you write that into a script, it inherently turns off. Financiers and and money people just because they're like, well, why are we reading it like this? This isn't a book. So (laughs) I had it in the back pocket idea. But once we uh, started editing, uh, that was immediately put into the, you know, uh, as soon as we started assembling it and never left.
0: (laughs) And you did it really uh, uniquely in the way you laid out the chapters, let's say, in the, the frame and anything. Was there any inspiration behind that? Were you paying tribute to old style movies because it looked very old school and it gave it a nice feel. So was there any inspiration behind that?
1: Um, I don't know if it was a particular movie, uh, but I definitely just love that kind of design. And so um, from the beginning, I knew that I wanted that kind of framework. And incidentally, I met an artist named Adeline Albert on um, Instagram and I loved her work and I asked her to do that. And she, was more than happy to. and so I'm very, very pleased that it's our kind of like own original flourish. but I'm sure it's in a bunch of Lars von Trier uses chapter cards all the time. Yeah. so you know I'm sure it was some inspiration somewhere.
0: The location of this film literally is a character in itself, okay? The location is is paramount. Uh, did you have difficulty? did it take you a long time scouting to find the perfect location? to film off season in? Uh,
1: so I had visited this town a bunch because I grew up in Florida and this town uh, we had been to periodically when I was little. And so from the very beginning, writing this movie, I knew that I wanted to film in the, in this town. I knew I didn't want to be in a, you know, a California beach town. It had to be New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Um, so really the process was just going down and scouting it multiple times. I think the hardest thing to accomplish was getting permission to film on the bridge because that's a fully functional bridge that actually its job is to raise and lower when boats go underneath it but once we were able to get that then I knew everything else would be you know fall into place uh so it wasn't that they were more than accommodating and I'm very very thankful because you never know especially dragging an entire crew from LA uh (laughs) you you never know
0: (laughs) now like I said the location is paramount uh, the cinematography, the mist, the fog. Uh, there's nothing. I mean, Florida, I'm familiar with Florida weather. Uh, so I assumed the fog, the mistiness, that was all man-made for the appeal of the cinematography. Am I correct?
1: A hundred percent. And it was really, really difficult to wrangle. We wrestled uh, mist and fog every single day of every, and every shot. every minute it was uh, I do not recommend doing it
0: (laughs) but it was paramount it needed Mm -hmm. to be done for this film Mm -hmm. 100% and uh, were you happy uh, at the end of the day uh, when you well I'm pretty sure you're happy when you saw the final product but after each day of filming were there lingering doubts about the challenges with the mist and the fog and did we get it right did we not get it right and so on
1: no, I mean, it was it was beautiful. And it was t- I think from the get go, everyone realized how worthwhile it was. Um, so that's what kind of kept us going uh, when they would short out or they wouldn't or the wind would just keep wh- whipping uh, it all away. Uh, I think everyone saw the product. You know, if I shot this on film and I had to wait a couple days, I think I would probably have a panic attack. But, uh <laughs> We were able to watch every night and kind of, you know, concluded very early on that this was the smart, if not very difficult move.
0: Yes, it definitely was. Off-season uh, is the classic story of making a deal with the devil, pretty much. Um, you took the concept and you definitely made it your own. There it's there are a lot of twists in this. Uh, so when you're going and you're creating a very well-known story like selling your soul to the devil for success or whatever. What kind of challenges did you face in the writing process to make it unique?
1: You know, it really was kind of these kind of universal themes are, are very, very appealing to me. And so in providing the audience with a general kind of idea of, like you said, like your deal with the devil, it gave me permission to kind of tell this story in a completely, my own way and with my own style and use that as justification for really anything that I wanted to do in the film. So um, it's very exciting to me when I can provide anchor points for the audience and then be able to be like, well, this is the fallout of that. And that's the reason. And that's because, you know, Rod Serling does that so well with the twilight zone. And I think that was kind of a, a fun safety net to just be, if people didn't, understand it's like, well it's their they sold their soul. That's why. (laughs) This is what the devil does on this island.
0: (laughs) Now in the movie it's referenced as we're not giving anything away here, but the demon that came out of the sea. Now that sort of lines up with the uh biblical book of Revelations where the beast is gonna rise from the sea. Is that where you drew sort of your inspiration, you know, instead of the devil walking into town and offering a deal to these, to the, to this group of people. Instead, let's go with a biblical reference out of revelations, the beast that crawled out of the sea.
1: Um, I mean, that's, that's a great reference. I'm very not familiar with the Bible, so I can't, uh, I can't claim that that was an inspiration, but, um, but uh, short answer, no. But, but if, if people kind of make that connection, great. An audience's interpretation is just as meaningful to me as my own. So um, go for it. I think that that's great.
0: <laughs> it is. I mean, I'm not, I don't know the Bible. I haven't read the Bible from cover to cover. But the Book of Revelations, especially the story of the Antichrist. I mean, we've seen so many films about it. And it just made me think of that. Now, the character of Marie is a descendant of one of the original island residents. Uh, Did Marie's mom, by leaving the island, really think that she gained all her prosperity on her own and the deal that was struck up had nothing to do with it and she could therefore escape without having to pay a penalty? Or is that something you want to leave up to viewer interpretation?
1: i i think that would be best for the for the audience to draw uh well you know uh because that's what's fun for me when Malora and i discussed uh this role you know we both came up with um, I told her all my intentions, but I think what's really valuable uh, is when a film is interactive to the audience and basically says, "Here, you know, here's the start of the conversation. What do you think?" Um, so, so uh, please, yeah, to the audience listening or watching this, let me know. You know, I'm very, very interested to hear how you uh, take that. Now, but Marie- that's a great question.
0: Now, Marie never made this bargain. She's a descendant of one of the people that made this bargain, but yet you know, we find out that she has to pay a price. Why was that so critical for you to put in there that the sins of the parents have to be paid by the children as well?
1: Well, I mean, I think that's something that's, uh, that's incredibly uh, relevant and noticeable today. Just, um, you know, with what's going on in the world and the kind of, you know, if you want to perceive something so much as, you know, the generational impact of, of, uh, A country's economy or how we treat the environment, I think that that's may as well be comparable to a demon in the ocean. So, um, I think that's an age old kind of, um, kind of warning in in some way that I really wanted to try to tackle because you're right. I mean, Marie is innocent, Mm -hmm. (laughs) she didn't even know about this pact until you know her mother died. So, I I think that's kind of very scary
0: now. Uh, the film. Let's talk about the residents that are on the island, Uh, especially April uh, Linskow, who plays Miss Emily. Talk talk about creepy, Uh, very creepy. What was it about April that echoed the character of Miss Emily for you?
1: Um, She's just an incredibly sweet person. And uh, it was was really, uh, when we got this kind of list of actors who were local, it was very important to me to cast kind of local characters. Uh, in the film, because you know, when you ship everyone from Hollywood, I feel like there's immediately a level of you know phoniness. Yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> I was I was so taken by her look and her eyes, and she she speaks with just the gentlest voice, and I thought that was really really appealing. And um and yeah, I think this is her first feature film, so I'm very wow. very proud of of you know of the performance she brought to the table. On oh, this.
0: she did an amazing job. Now the story is told through flashbacks and then going into the present time, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, Very tricky, if not done properly. And you did it great, the way the movie fills in gaps by jumping in the past and then going back to the present. Did you find that challenging? Were there any headaches when you were piecing it together in the end in post-production and putting which flashback where in the sequence of the film?
1: No, you know, it's so funny. It's like um, w- what I did with this film was I storyboarded the entire movie and did a pre-visual like edit of the film. So um, basically, I mean, by the time we were assembling uh, the dailies of the movie, it, this the the structure was pretty much set in stone from the get go. But what I will say is when I met Malora and, and Malora said she would do the film, I thought, well, there here's a big opportunity to write more, you know, to, to kind of uh open the window on on and give some insight on their relationship too so what i ended up doing was was giving them a whole other scene that in in the place of in the script where there was a little tiny flashback uh i we me and my editor valerie we put that um argument uh yeah. in in the middle because
0: don't you know, call it was just me mom
1: <laughs> right exactly you know that was a scene that i was just like i wrote it and i was like i this would be great for me to have anyway like if it doesn't make the film but um But we put it in there and it felt perfect. And so um, that was the only real kind of like pleasant surprise.
0: Uh, Speaking about Malara, the film opens up with a very uh, dark, sinister monologue uh, Mm -hmm. that will leave audiences scratching their heads. It gets explained as the movie goes on. What made you decide to start the film off that way?
1: I just, you know, I, I really wanted to, um, to, I, I don't know. It just felt kind of right. And it was written into the script. Um, and then her scream, she kind of, uh, brought that. And we were, you know, we talked about a lot about Bergman films, um, cries and whispers and, and so that was really kind of her, uh, idea to keep escalating to that point. And, you know, that's the first take we shot probably four takes, uh, and but we, we cut it in and we were like, that's it. That's perfect. That, this, this is the movie. And so also it's an effort to be like, you know, here it is. And, and if you, this is the rhythm and style of the film. So you'll know very early on whether you're on board or not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely true. Now, at the end of the film, we sort of see kind of the entity from the sea. And Marie you, says something that, again, I think it's left up to viewer interpretation, like something along the lines of now I understand uh is that another moment that you want to leave viewers to sort of piece together on their own and get their feedback as time goes on
1: sure yeah you know and, and also I think I think it's kind of the conclusive element of you know a character who is inherently conflicted uh by by what to believe and what not to believe and as she continues down this rabbit hole i mean ultimately that's kind of the you know if you need an answer there it is right um so so it really kind of is that you know heartbreaking element uh to me um but yeah you know it's like i i definitely is an effort to i love hearing um what the audience will say back, you know, in, in, in their own interpretations.
0: Uh, going back to the residents, who we do see throughout the film, are they all local to the area?
1: Um, In terms of actors, yeah. some were, some weren't um uh so i think it was a mix of of people who actually lived in that town and then a couple people who had lines we, we we brought in and then uh one of our producers parents are they're in the bar too um so that's like a nice thing for them to be a part of and then my little brother's also oh. uh, in, in the bar
0: <laughs> so you chose a very interesting way on how to depict the residents the movie's called off-season for a reason uh it's an island where during the winter or whatever the off season is in florida which i would assume would be summer but anyway during the off season this island is not open for any kind of tourists it's completely closed the bridge is closed uh just the residents are there and the way you depict the residents as we see see them during this off season was very uh creative uh very creative very unique it's sort of like a time capsule what was it that you were trying to capture uh by showing them the way you did present them to us
1: uh you know i really wanted to make this world feel like it was disconnected from from time right and and that it was still kind of even though it it relies for a lot of the year on modern tourists and tourism it still is trapped and and playing, you know, the catch-up game with culture and everything. So I wanted the residents who stay there to feel that way. You, you know, if some of them are stuck in this eternal time loop, theoretically, some of them have been there and alive for, for hundreds of years. And so that was kind of the, the real effort. And then in terms of them as uh when she sees them in the bar and they're all frozen or their eyes or anything like that, it really was this effort to, to, to almost kind of have them be shells of, of, or, or, or robotic in a way where it's like, once the people are gone, they shut down, they have no purpose anymore until the, the, the tourist season again. So exactly. uh, yeah, that was really exciting for me.
0: And the tourists, uh, they're not just there to you know, keep the finance of the island going. The, the tourists themselves, as it's explained in the movie, I don't want to give too much away, but they also help feed the demon, the evil entity, the devil, whatever you want to call it, they feed it as well. Uh, right. And that's touched upon with uh, Jocelyn's conversation with the fisherman, who has to stay awake while everyone else is asleep during the off season. What was the element that you were trying to throw in there in regard to the tourists that come to that island during the main season?
1: I uh, you know it's it's very exciting. I love the duality and the hypocrisy of a place that that relies and depends on outsiders for, like you said, either money for for energy, whatever. But they have a, a an inherent hatred towards you know, anyone who's not them. Um, And so I just love, yeah, I love that kind of, um, I think that's something that's very common, you know, in, in our, in our world today and, and, and increasingly so. And I think that that was just a really funny, you know, disconnect that I really wanted to try to, to capture.
0: You did. Uh, Now the the film has some great special effects uh, with the fishermen and then at the end with the sea and the storm. Uh, Did you, uh, Was it hard trying to stay in budget with the level of effects that you wanted to do?
1: No, because I, you know, I, I saved my ass because uh, I storyboarded the whole movie because, you know, I think the problem that you get into, especially with visual effects is if you don't have a plan and a mapped out calculated plan and you're just shooting coverage that can add up a lot. Like, you know, getting, getting visual effects made is a real task. And so as long as you're very, very, very specific of what you have in mind, you can really stretch the dollar as much as possible. I mean, the Cohen brothers say it the best. They say we storyboard because if we have a room and we know we don't need, we only need two of the walls. There's no point in building four walls for a set. And I think that applies very well to CGI and and, and visual effects as well.
0: Absolutely. Now let's go to how you got your start. You started. Uh, you interned at Blumhouse. How much did that experience uh, help you uh, getting into the world of directing, writing, especially in horror?
1: Um, Yes. So I, you know, I grew up making movies. I've only ever wanted to make movies. I don't have any other interests or hobbies. Movies are everything. And so I actually, in college, I uh, interned for Larry Fessenden, first and foremost, at Glass Eye Picks. Um, and, And there I was able to kind of watch them navigate through, you know, independent completely fiercely independent filmmaking to make you know things that are their own are artistic voice and then when I moved out to Los Angeles watching the Jason Blum and Blumhouse make movies that are small but still studio minded and working with a studio it really was this kind of exciting you know um, a combination in, in my very formative years as a filmmaker so really I think the most exciting thing and learning from from Jason Blum is, is really kind of keeping the audience in mind and and if you're going to try to push the audience in a certain direction or challenge the audience you should always be making the movie with the audience you know first and foremost in your head because we're not making movies for ourselves mm-hmm. otherwise you shoot a film and you put it in a drawer yourself, so yeah. it really is that kind of uh, th- a very valuable thing that i i learned uh very you know early on from both larry and jason blum
0: Now, when it comes to horror, obviously, you could tell by your filmography, you're a horror fan, you're, you know, you love the genre. Uh, When it comes to writing and directing, which of the two do you find more, I don't know, creative in talking about? Because we all know horror is a great platform for social commentary. Uh, Do you love like the writing aspect uh, or do you love it when it comes time to get behind that camera?
1: um i really love them both and i see them both as you know they they are interlocked for me um you know i i think that directing is is i I almost say i like black out when i'm directing because you know you just put your nose to the ground you just have to make it happen you're negotiating with time and elements and a whole bunch of other things so writing really is i write every day i love writing um but the challenge of that is like you don't know whether what you're writing will ever see the light of day. So for me, I, I think that, I, you know, I probably would be hard pressed to because directing is so challenging in so many ways. I don't think I would would just voluntarily direct other material. Uh, I write for my I direct what I write. Mm-hmm. Um, but writing, you know, I, I feel like I could, you know, write for anybody, really, because I just love doing it. But um but yeah, so that's kind of... that. They definitely do have a, a an equal balance for me. And then I love editing. Uh, and then, the, you know, the, the, the most stressful moment for me is when the movie's actually coming out and you're seeing how people respond to it. Yeah, because
0: <laughs> you're out of control at that point. It's, for not, sure, it's yeah. not up to you. Now, horror, you being such a horror fan... Do horror ideas when it comes times to when it does come time to write a script, do you feel they naturally flow to you? I mean everybody gets writer's block and whatnot, but do you find yourself uh, especially writing horror that you really the ideas really come to you easily? Not easily, but free flowing?
1: I mean, I have you know, I have an endless well of ideas. The challenge always is whether an idea can sustain itself for, you know, 100 pages um because the, i've gotten into so many instances where i thought like oh this is a great idea and then i have started writing it and then 25 pages in i'm like i i don't know i'm done you know <laughs> i'm done but so so the ones that that arrive where i can at least see a trajectory and an ending i know those are worth pursuing and those are fewer and further between and it really is a, a, a matter of weeding out like all right what's an idea that's exciting but n- might not be feasible or or great for the next movie or something and what's the thing that's like a challenge and really i can go bigger uh, 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 that's always those are always the yeah. the ones that i end up making
0: <laughs> now as your career progresses uh, are you happy just being in the horror genre and making horror films which is a great i mean horror is amazing the fan base is amazing there's loyal they're dedicated. Uh, or down the line, do you see yourself expanding more? Let's say into sci-fi, action, or whatever. When it comes to your writing and directing.
1: Um. Yeah. I mean. Well. So I'm. I'm a cinephile through and through. I'm obsessed with with all movies. Um. I. And. But alternatively, like I'm not one of those directors who is making. Horror films as like a stepping stone, as many, many, many directors do. I love the horror genre, and as long as I have, you know, movies that I think are worthwhile uh, telling, I'll always do them, I, you know. But I'd love to make, you know, I really ha- want to do a crime movie. I really want to do, um, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm very obsessed with uh, Rainer, Werner, Rainer Werner Fassbender right now, mm-hmm. and so I'd love to do a kind of like, like, uh domestic drama like like him i don't think i'll ever do like a straight broad comedy though you know (laughs) that's not my style
0: being a horror fan uh do you feel a responsibility when you do start writing a horror movie and directing it to the community to horror fans uh being a part of that community yourself uh do you put maybe a little bit added pressure on yourself to give out something really worthy
1: um, yeah, yeah, I don't. Well, see, it's funny, because like, I don't know, um, short of making horror movies, like I'm not involved on social media very much or anything. So I kind of feel like an outsider in terms of like a, a, a community in and of itself. Um, but I think, you know, I would never make a movie that I, I wasn't ready to like break my back over, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it's like there, I, I always say it's like, there are way easier ways to make money than Filmmaking, and um, uh, I, if I'm going to do something, it has to be for the effort of, of you know, I want to make the best thing I possibly can. I don't want to waste anybody's time. You know, I I really want to present something that I feel like could start a conversation with whoever's watching it. So Absolutely. that's that's really the effort, and I think that's a responsibility of a filmmaker because film is a collaborative art form, uh, and it's meant for the masses.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. The passion definitely has to be there. Mickey, I want to thank you so much uh, for this interview. You've been great guys. The movie is coming out this Friday, March 11th. Do you know, as far as theaters go, which cities it's going to drop in theaters?
1: Yes. I can actually read off the list to you right oh, now. Absolutely, yes. um, one second. So it'll play in two theaters here in Los Angeles. It's playing in the Alamo draft house. Uh, at, at starting Friday, uh, downtown LA, and the, the Lemley in Santa Monica. It'll be in Austin, Texas, at the at uh, at the Galaxy. Uh, it'll be in Sandwich, Massachusetts, and, and then it's going to be in Chicago, Cleveland, Dallas, El Paso, two two screenings in Houston, Lubbock, Texas, uh, Minneapolis, uh, uh, New York, and New Jersey, and then Seattle. And then on the fifteenth, it'll be coming to the Alamo Draft Houses at uh in denver and san francisco
0: nice that's a pretty nice release right there and it's coming out the same day to video on demand should people expect it like voodoo amazon prime video to rent or buy and all the other platforms that people may choose
1: yeah yeah and and, you know pretty much anywhere where you can get a movie on demand and you know it's like if you're brave, you know. If you're comfy enough seeing it in the theater, great. There no, you know, it's we're in a really weird time right now. Yeah. Uh, so you're able to watch it same day, and uh, and so just my one, my one, the thing I'm begging is if you're watching it at home, please just turn down the lights and and you know turn up the volume if you can.
0: I can attest to that because, like I like we said, this film, the location, the background is another character. Uh, so yeah, yeah absolutely turn off the lights and you'll, you'll love this movie. Mickey, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank our audience for tuning in, check out off season. It's coming out this Friday. Uh, Mickey did a great job. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share before we go?
1: Uh, no, thank you for having me. I mean, this was really great. And so I, I look forward to, I'm not, like I said, I'm not on Twitter, but I'm on Instagram kind of. So uh, if you have any theories, just, uh, you know, message me and, and I, I look forward to, uh, to reading what your interpretations of off season are.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much again to our audience. Till next time on behalf of Mickey Keating and myself. Stay safe. Stay walking. Good night, everybody.
1: Thank you.